8 to, to uh, 18 there. And I invite you to have your bulletins open there to on page 8. And um, we'll be working through those verses together. Um, and, and just stick with me during the sermon today. I'm begging you, pleading with you, because we have to develop this idea of worthlessness a little bit, and that, that's going to be hard to take. Um, but then we're going to move to this idea of the living God that gives us this incredible hopeless, hopefulness, hopefulness in life. We'll begin in God's name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a, there's a word in, in verse 15 of Acts chapter 14 that it, it strips everything away. And it starts with the letter W. It's sitting right there in the middle of the verse, worthless. This is a word that the Greek tragedians, that's the guys who wrote the Greek tragedies, they would often pick up on this vocabulary in their poems and epics that they would write. And if you're schooled in their thought and you read them enough, like the Apostle Paul apparently had, you'll begin to ask yourself a haunting question. Can anything or anyone escape the judgment of worthlessness? This is the question that they try to answer in their poetry and in the tragedies that they would write because they saw that the corrosive effects of age make gunning for the perfect six-pack or pumping iron in the, beat, uh, in the gym kind of look, well, foolish. And because they saw people trying to make lots and lots of money, well, kind of foolish too, because who can take a moving truck into the next life? And they would look at, at the pursuit of, of beauty and fashion as unable to cover nakedness and shame. They, they looked at all of, of the things that we chase, all of the, the pursuits that we have in our life, and all that they could call it was worthless. In fact, we'll use their words, one Greek tragedian put it this way, all earthly being is as smoke. Only the gods abide. So if you want to really hear, and I mean really hear what God has to say to us today, you have to be absolutely ruthless as you analyze your pursuits in your life. You have, you have to be able, you have to be willing to, to say that my pursuit of beauty and fashion is nothing. Because there are no creams or makeup that can finally cover over wrinkles. 
you, you have to be able to say that my pursuit of promotion, of job titles, of education is nothing. Because what does power gain? At the end of the day, the most powerful have to sleep and ultimately die. The, the Greek tragedians, and if we're going to understand the Apostle Paul today, we have to look at whatever it is that is driving us, whatever it is that we are trying to pursue, and if it does not hold up to the test of decay, if it doesn't hold up to the test of death, then it's, it's worthless. It's nothing. So if you cannot look at from atop a gravestone what you are doing and say that this is full of value, then it's really valueless, we could say. And it's then, and only then, that the Spirit can give you true wisdom. And that from those depths, you can hear the Apostle Paul call out to you, turn from worthless things to the living God. Listen to him call out to this this people of God in Lystra. Here's how Luke tells this story. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, He let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the... The internet's a, a strange thing, and I'm not quite sure how I landed on Chris Jordan's website, but I did. Maybe it's because it, we just got over with Earth Month or Earth Day, but I, I ended up on his website. What he has on there are pictures of albatross. You know, that big bird. Pictures of 
to be more specific, pictures of dead albatrosses. So, for some reason, he's a photographer from Seattle. He got interested in photographing these dead albatrosses and the contents of their stomachs. And do you know what their favorite target was? Cigarette lighters. These, these albatrosses, like many other living things in this world, they love to eat attractive garbage. And they would fill their stomachs up with this attractive garbage, die, and then Chris Jordan would take a photograph. Now, why am I telling you this? <laughs> well, my grandpa always said, leave the world a, a cleaner place than how you found it. You know, that's sort of a, a moralistic take on it. And that's not my main point, but I think that's something we all need to think about. Um, but the real reason I'm telling you this is the same reason that Chris Jordan took those photographs. And this is kind of a longer quote, and I, know, I don't normally do this, but I want to read you this quote, because I think it's worth hearing. He said this, For me, kneeling over their carcasses is like looking into a macabre mirror. These birds reflect back an appallingly emblematic result of the collective trance of our consumerism and runaway industrial growth. Like the albatross, we first world humans find ourselves lacking the ability to discern any more what is nourishing from what is toxic to our lives and our spirits. Choked to death on our waste, the mythical albatross calls upon us to recognize that our greatest challenge lies not out there, but in here. Can, can I paraphrase what he said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, please. <laughs> the human being, whether ancient or modern, is almost incapable of deciphering what is good for our souls and what is absolutely toxic. And usually, we're attracted to attractive garbage. And it's killing us. You can see that in our lesson. The people in Lystra are example A of this. You think about it, it's absolutely ridiculous that here they are. They're, they're going to invest incredible time and incredible amounts of money to sacrifice to mere human beings. I mean, they, they looked at Paul, and by some accounts, Paul was this this thin, kind of crooked, bald man. And they thought, well, he must be cursed. And, and there's Barnabas, and he's quiet, and he's regal. And they think, well, he must be Zeus. And so they, they pursue Paul and Barnabas. They want to sacrifice to these guys who are glittering and glowing with the divine kind of power. And they were glittering and glowing with a divine kind of power. St. Luke, as he tells the story, is absolutely adamant about this. And in verse 8, he piles up verbiage so that we understand just how glittering and glowing they really were. Listen to what he says. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled 
in his feet. That would have been enough. Just that little phrase, that would have been enough for us to understand now. If this guy gets up and walks, but Luke's not done describing this man. He continues and he says, he who was lame from birth. And now, so now if this man gets up and walks, it's going to be a double miracle. But Luke's still not done. He continues piling up phrases to describe how bad off this man was. And he says, and had never walked. So this man is triple lame. This man is in a terrible, awful position at the very mercy of God. And so if he gets up and walks, this this is something special that happens. Luke continues, verse 9, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, there's a lot of parents out sitting here today, and parents know this, that when someone walks for the first time, they don't jump up. And they're kind of shaky and maybe even fall over. And people also know this, that if someone has never walked before and they go into rehab so that they can walk, they don't jump up like someone playing basketball. I mean, what we have here, this man was triple lame, we could say, and then he jumps up athletically and he begins to walk around as if he always knew how to walk. Paul and Barnabas are absolutely glittering and glowing with this incredible divine power from Jesus. And so the people in Lystra kind of scratch their head and they say, they must be gods. We can at least say that about them. That they had a good reason to fall down and worship Mere men. They had seen a man who was triple lame jump up and walk. Have you noticed how far that we've progressed that the bar is actually much lower now for the the things and the people that we worship? It's we haven't involved. It's actually much lower now. It's much, much lower. And, and so we can see this about ourselves that we don't even need a miracle anymore for us to worship someone or to give something our time and our money. I mean, the latest fashions and beauty crazes have still not covered up our nakedness and shame. People will shell out hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to these things. And having lots of money and investing in the markets and working our tails off 
have still not allowed us to buy a spot in heaven. And having the very best real estate on the face of the earth has still not gained us a spot in God's heavenly presence. And our latest promotions and our latest job titles, they have still not brought us even an inch closer to God Almighty. And yet here we are, investing incredible amounts of time and energy. You have to think about this. What are the things that make you tired? And what are the things that you're willing to invest incredible amounts of time and energy into? And do they pass the test of giving you something truly lasting? At least the Laodiceans worshipped something that emanated divine power. Did you notice Paul's reaction to this, all this worthlessness? It, it wasn't a tepid response. It, it wasn't even sort of mediocre. Here, here's how Luke says that he responds. And it's absolutely desperate and it's anxious. He, he says, this is the way he describes the scene. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, Shouting. So it's a threefold response. It's anxious and it's desperate intervention into this worthlessness. First of all, they tear their clothes to say, This is ridiculous, people. And then they don't just walk, they rush and they're shouting at the top of their lungs, What are you doing? Why are you wasting your time and your money and your energy? sacrificing to to something that glitters and glows, but one day will die and decay. People, you have to think about this. And then he continues because he doesn't want them to miss the gospel. He continues by saying this, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. The Apostle Paul wanted them to understand and not miss out on the fact that there is someone out there who makes everything worth it. The living God. There are clothes that actually can cover our nakedness and shame. The robes of Jesus Christ's own righteousness. And there is power that is lasting into eternal life, and it has nothing to do in this world. Power that comes from God that He gives to you when He makes you kings and queens of His kingdom. And there is property 
that has nothing to do with this world that cannot be bought with money, but that was bought with the precious blood of Jesus in the very presence of God. And there is a promotion that that does not take us up higher in some earthly hierarchy, but that makes us sons and daughters of the living God. And this, we could say, and we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on talking about how worth it it is to know this true God. Because Jesus says, little flock, I have given to you the kingdom. And that's all that you need. There's a word in verse 14 that I want to leave you with. And this time, it doesn't start with, W. There's a, there's a word that comes a little bit later, and it's the word living. God is living. And he brings rain on the earth. And he changes brown grass into green grass. And with his little finger, he raises up flowers that are pink and purple, and white. And this same God has demonstrated His kindness to us by giving us His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He raised from the dead. He has given us the kingdom. And one day, He will change cold and lifeless bodies and give them new life. When it comes to worthless things, we need to be absolutely ruthless. But when it comes to the living God, He calls us to be absolutely hopeful. Amen. Let's confess our faith in this living God.